Well, we lived in Pensacola. Uh, the kids were all little, and we decided that we would uh, get them a dog. So we found a darling little dog named Sassy. That was her name. And at first, everything was great. And of course, it was the kids' responsibility to take care of Sassy and to, to feed her and make sure she had a place to stay and all those kind of things. We actually put up a fence around the backyard just so that she had a place to stay and, and, and she was safe. But it was not long before we learned that Sassy did not want to be in our yard. And so she would dig under the fence almost every day. And she would dig and dig. And we would put rocks under the fence. And we would put beams under the fence. And she would dig deeper and deeper. And the children, can you believe this, lost more and more interest in this beautiful little dog named Sassy. And so guess who ends up taking care of Sassy? Guess who ends up chasing Sassy around the neighborhood? Guess who Sassy pees in front of every time she sees? Me, all right? That was my relationship with Sassy. She was not very, very pleased with me. You ever been in that kind of situation where you didn't really mean to get yourself there, but you got stuck with something, you know? All of a sudden, you're the one taking care of this dog that you didn't even want to have? We've all been there, right? Sometimes it's not a pet. Sometimes it's a person. You ever been there with a person? Maybe some of the people you spend 40 hours a week with. And maybe you're not so high on the boss or the boss is not so high on you. And yet you have to spend all that time there. And it's, it's just pretty miserable. Maybe it's not even your boss. Maybe it was a roommate. Maybe you thought, you know, we're great friends and we'll make great roommates. And they never wash their dishes. And they never showed any kind of respect for your food in the refrigerator. And yet you knew you were stuck there in that dorm room or that apartment for a whole year. Or maybe even worse, you're stuck with the person that you said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. That you said, for richer, for poor, and sickness and health, till death do us part. And, and you believe that, and you're there. And don't raise your hand if you feel like you're there, but you feel like you're stuck. You ever been there? In some kind of relationship? I, I like um, in one of Max Licato's books, Just Like Jesus, he defines that as stuckatitis. The word stuck means, you know, you're trapped. Titus is three letters you add to the end to make it sound important, all right? And, and you get stuck in that. What do you do about that? How do you handle that place or that position where you feel like you can't get away from that person? Well, really, there's three ways you can cope with that in any kind of relationship. I mean, you can flee. You, you, you can get rid of that person. You can quit that job. You can give away that dog. You certainly couldn't sell her, but you could give her away, all right? You can flee or you can, you can fight. I mean, you, you're stuck in this situation at work and it becomes a combat zone. You're stuck in this marriage and it's a boxing match. You're in this friendship or roommate situation for life, and it's, it's hard to make it work, and you can just fight. Or there's a third alternative we're going to talk about today, is that you can forgive. That's the opportunity you have to make things right. And we're going to learn that from Jesus today in a story that we normally don't associate with forgiveness. Because listen to me, Jesus knows what it is to have stuckatitis. He's been there. He, had three and a, he spent three and a half years with 12 men that weren't exactly the most pleasant to be around. I mean, you ever just read the Gospels? 
I mean, you're, you're blown away by Jesus and you're embarrassed by his disciples because they just don't ever get it right. Um, their actions are out of, loud, out of line. Um, they want to call down fire from heaven and incinerate a village. They begin to sink in the middle of the sea when Jesus gives them the power to walk on water. They begin to argue about who's the greatest when Jesus is trying to tell them the greatness is in servanthood. They just don't get it right. And Jesus sees those actions. But think about something maybe you've never thought about before. Not only does Jesus see their out-of-line actions, Jesus also knows their thoughts. Wouldn't that be tough? It's bad enough to be around people where we don't like all their actions. Can you imagine if you had a picture of all their thoughts? And not only that, Jesus knows all of their sins and mistakes of their past. And on top of that, because he's God and he's all-knowing, he knows what they're going to do in the future. And he's stuck with these guys. And the question is, how in the world do you handle that? Watch how Jesus handled it. John chapter 13, let's start reading in verse 1. Let's read verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Let's stop there just for a moment. We are in the shadow of the cross. Jesus is about to die. And he's with these guys. And and, and he knows all their faults and all their flaws. He even knows what they will do. And the Bible says he determined that he would love them to the end. If you have a different translation, translators go both ways with this. He loved them to the end. Other translations that I really prefer say he showed them the full extent of his love. It's It's a word that means the quantity of his love, that it will last to the very end, and also the quality of his love. He wants them to know fully how much that he loves this ragtag group of people and he wants to show them so look at verse 2 the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot to betray Jesus look around the room Jesus knows these guys he knows Peter will deny him He knows even after the resurrection that Thomas will doubt him. And he's about to wash the feet of Judas who will betray him. Man, I have searched for a translation that says he skipped the feet of Judas. (laughs) I don't like that, do you? I mean, you think he could have just sort of politely got around this. But he doesn't. Look at verse 3. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and he was returned to God. That's security. That's the only way you can serve like this. Is you know where you've come from, you know where you're going, and you know who your Father is. And so Jesus has the kind of security that he can love the unlovable, that he can forgive the unforgivable. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, now listen to me, guys. This is incredible. We've got a room of people with dirty feet. I mean, you walk around like these guys did for miles and miles with sandals on. Your feet are caked with dust. 
And so the tradition was when you came into a room to eat, the, the lowliest person in the room would wash the feet. The lowest person on the totem pole was a, a Gentile slave. And then if you didn't have a Gentile slave, maybe a Jewish slave. And then just above that would be just the, um, the lowest person in the room. Never, 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 never does a rabbi wash his disciples' feet. A disciple is to wash his feet. And yet Jesus girds himself. Look at verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, I want you to write these things down. Jesus washed feet. I, I see three primary reasons. First of all, to give us a message. You know, th- this is one of those pictures where you've got God washing feet that we would put this caption underneath it. What's wrong with this picture? What is wrong with this picture? The king of the universe is washing feet. The hands that flung the stars into existence are taking the dirt off their feet. The fingers that formed the mountains of the world are washing between their toes. The one in front of whom all nations will one day kneel is kneeling on his knees, washing their feet. There's something wrong with this picture. You keep reading the story, and Peter begins to to complain about it. He thinks this is an intolerable situation. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is God in the flesh washing the stinking feet of his frailed and failed disciples. But I would say we should put a different caption under the picture. Our caption should ask this question. What is right with this picture? The king of the universe is washing feet. The ones whose hands flung the stars into existence is now taking the dirt off their dirty feet. The fingers that formed mountains are cleaning between their toes. The one in front of whom all nations will one day bow is on his knees in their presence, humbly serving them. What do you see here, guys? We, we get a message. What's going on here is more than Jesus removing their dirt. It's Jesus removing their doubt. He does not want there to be any doubt, not an ounce of doubt, not a smidgen of doubt as to whether he loves them or not. The purpose here is not just a great example of servitude. It is. It's an example of the kind of God that we serve. You know, we think about God's love, we often go back to the cross because there's no greater proof of God's love than the cross. But sometimes I think we've talked about the cross so much it almost loses its power if we're not careful. But when I go back to this story, and I think that God says, I want to show you how much I love you. I'm going to do the most menial task that really should have been out of bounds to any rabbi, more or less God as a rabbi. And I want you guys to know that I love you. Because that's the message that we have. We have a message that God is for us, that he loves us. That he wants to love us, as the passage says here, all the way to the full extent of his love. Because we have an incredible message, amen? Boy, you guys are pretty sad. We have an incredible message, amen? Now, what a message. Can you believe this picture of God? 
I mean, who could have even thunk of this kind of picture of God? I couldn't have. I don't think you could have. If anybody had just planned on God coming to the earth, do you picture this? Number two, not only does he give us a message, but he also gives us mercy. Because think about what he's doing here. Think about the future of the feet that he's washing. 24 of these feet will dash for cover when Jesus is arrested. Only one pair will even attempt to be close to him during his trial and he'll deny him. Only one pair of these feet will stand beneath the cross. One pair of the feet that he washes here will not even make it through the night without betraying him. And it gives us a picture of mercy. These people are getting what they need, not what they deserve. Guys, the picture here is more than Jesus just washing feet. The washing symbolizes a deeper washing. It's evident with the conversation that follows this scene with Peter. Jesus gets to Peter and Peter says, Lord, uh, you're not going to wash my feet. You see, they've just been arguing about who's the greatest. Lord, you're not washing my feet. And, and Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. And, and, and Peter says, no, he very emphatic. No, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus says, now, Peter, you don't understand right now, but one day you're going to understand this. No, Jesus, you'll never wash my feet. And then Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I'm telling you what, if I can't wash your feet, you don't have anything to do with me. You see, guys, what is the symbolism here? The symbolism is not about washing and cleansing the feet. It's about washing and cleansing the soul. What he's saying to Peter is, right now this doesn't make much sense to you, but what it symbolizes and what it points to is a cleansing that one day you'll catch. And if you don't have that cleansing, you will have no part of me. You've got to have it. It shows us the incredible mercy of God. Catch this about this story, my friends. Jesus forgives these men before they've ever committed their act of sin. And we need to understand as disciples of Jesus today, this is not a picture of the way Jesus used to treat his disciples. Amen. This is the picture of how Jesus does treat his disciples. That's you. That's me. 1 John 1, 7 says, as we walk in the light, we hang out with Jesus. As he is in the light. His blood continually cleanses us from our sins. It's constant. And we have that kind of cleansing from him. And then one more thing. He gives us a model, all right? He gives us a model of the way we are supposed to live our life. How do we learn this kind of forgiveness? Only from Jesus. Why is our world such a messed up place? Because we don't understand forgiveness. Somebody's got to break the cycle. Who breaks the cycle between the Catholics and the Protestants in Northern Ireland? Who breaks the cycle between the Jews and the Palestinians in Israel? Who's going to break the cycle between the Shiites and the Sunnis? In Iraq, we see an ancient cycle of violence and violence and violence. And you know why? Because they don't know Jesus. They don't understand forgiveness. My friends, the picture we see here is incredibly radical. And yet, as we look at our world today, it is the only hope. 
And it's incredibly radical in a church, and it's incredibly radical in a home, and yet it is the only hope for any of those things surviving, is that when we begin to wash feet, to forgive as Jesus forgave, Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, we forgive one another just as Christ forgave us. I'm telling you, there's not anybody I know who's done me worse than I have done Jesus. And the more you recognize your own sinfulness, and the more you recognize the incredible grace of God, and the more you accept that grace into your heart, here's the beautiful thing that's going to happen is you're going to be able to extend it to other people. Whatever relationship you feel stuck in, listen to these words from Jesus, at least from the gospel of John, verse 13, verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. My friends, Jesus is the example. It's wild today. In some of the secular business schools in our country, what are they teaching is the most effective form of, of leadership. It's servant forgiving leadership. It's the model. How does a church like us with so much diversity, so many differences, spending so much time together we might rub each other the wrong way, how do we make it? It's through forgiveness. How do you have a long-term friendship when very few people do? It's because of forgiveness. How do you keep a marriage going? I'm telling you, it will not work without incredible forgiveness. You know, the description of love is that it keeps no record of wrongs. Many of us keep a long record of wrongs. I was a brother the other day, man. I could tell he's bitter and he's angry, man. He started talking and he, he, he'd kept a record, at least I knew, I just had known him this long, for at least 14 years of this and this and this and this that happened. And I'm telling you, you can't maintain relationships that way. It only happens through forgiveness. I want us to have a great model of that this morning. So I've asked Billy and Linda Segris if they would join me on the stage. If Billy and Linda would come up here. Most of you know Billy and Linda. They've been active here at Landmark for a long, long time. And incredible people with a beautiful family. And um, I've asked them to share because you probably see them every Sunday and think, wow, man, this is this great family from out in the country and farm and just do cheese. She's been a leader in hospice, and they are a great family. But, you know, sometimes we look at people and we think, man, they don't have any problems. Or they've never had any problems. I mean, you know, they, they, they grew up in strong families, have a strong family, got this beautiful place out there that we all like to go. But they've had some dark times in their life. And, and I'd like you guys just to begin our time by just, just sharing the darkest point of your marriage and what had gone on and what it was like. Well, um... I was 22. She was 18. She had just graduated from high school. Mm. And uh, we had almost a fairy tale marriage ceremony. Uh, I think all of her hometown was there, everybody. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and my grandmother was still living at the time she was there. Uh, we, we had a, just a fairy tale marriage. And then less than a year, we didn't even make it to our first anniversary. 
Uh, and I think maybe she ought to pick up right here because she knows how she was feeling. It's a life group rules. You confess your own sins, all right? Correct. Exactly. Um, Billy's right. I think I was just young, and I'll confess I, I felt stuck. And we fought first, <laughs> then I fleed. The darkest moment, I guess, is when we became divorced and I was living in another state. So I left and decided I wanted something different and better, and I wasn't willing to um, forgive or show mercy or be shown mercy, and, and I wanted other things. So a lot went on that there's no, no time here to go into detail, but um, I was not faithful, um, was walking hand-in-hand hand with the devil in Georgia, sowing my mm-hmm. wild oats, as some people would say, and... Through the grace of God, he never gave up on me, and he continued to pray for me. He would not have any part of the divorce in any way. He um, ag- kind of was aggravating there for a while because he wasn't going to let me go. And um, it was about a year later, um, he decided he was really going to give it to God. He still wore his wedding band this whole time that we were divorced, with all of his family telling him to give up on sorry me. Um, he... Uh, kept a lot of prayer, and he finally took his wedding band off and said, I give it completely to God. I called him that night and asked him, could we get back together? Wow. Um, I had been feeling about missing him and forgiveness and realizing that the grass is not greener on the other side, and I had someone that truly loved me, um, that I had thrown away a wonderful life, um, but it wasn't until he completely gave it to God, took off his wedding band as a symbolism of, I can't fix this. God, you've got to if it gets fixed. And I called him that night and through a series of conversations and prayer and confession on my part, um, he offered me a lot of forgiveness and we ended up getting remarried and um, it kind of had a happy ending. Um, But there was still a lot of learning in there, buddy. That's one thing that you and I talked about before we did this that I would like to share everyone with that you would think after all of this, we would have just had the happily ever after ending and it doesn't work that way. Um, He forgave me. Um, I do believe that Jesus forgave me. But honestly, we didn't have what I would call true heart to heart until I learned to forgive myself. And for me, that was the hardest part. And it took me a while to realize that um, it was pride on my part because in order to truly forgive myself, I had to really, truly see what I had done. And that was hard for me. And I was trying to make it up to him and make it up to God and doing all this stuff out of obligation and guilt. And finally, God revealed to me that um, true forgiveness is when you really let it go and you love someone in return for the sheer beauty and grace of loving, not out of guilt um, or obligation. And it was finally then that I let go of the pridefulness and the unforgiveness of myself that I could return to him the true love, sincere, real, pure love that he was already showing to me and that God had given to me. In the long term, after he'd forgiven you, you struggled with forgiveness of yourself. Oh, I really did. And I what, mean, I was what, trying what to make it up to everybody. The, what was the turning point in that? <clears throat> um, it, one day on my back porch, um, reading scripture and kind of feeling like I had struggled with God, that he said to me, I have given you the helmet of salvation. And for me, it was like your mind is protected you have got to think about what you've done 
and let it go to salvation and to mercy and forgiveness. And I, that may not make much sense, and I know that sounds kind of corny and weird, but it was a real time that God met me on my back porch in the cool of the morning and said, you got to quit thinking all this stuff. Guilt is in your head. Unforgiveness is yeah. in your head. Get to the heart of the matter and just love him like he's loved you and that as God's loved me. Okay. And that's when it truly became a beautiful marriage again. Now, let me ask you, uh, it's, how did you do that? I mean, how, did well, you, was, how in the world did you forgive as quickly and... It appears almost easily. How, how did you do I that? I think that despite the anger, deceit, depression, all, all, the, all the gambit of feelings that you have when something like that happens, the strongest thing that was going was my love for her. It, it, was, it overpowered everything. Wow. Uh, and it was just by the grace of God that I could feel those things because every other person in my life was trying to turn me against it. Not just, I mean, not, not talking about her at all. My mother, my mother tried to set me up with other women. <laughs> uh, but I had a belief in my heart that I was, that, that us getting back together was in the will of God. And I stood on that. And I also stood on the fact that my battle was not with her. It was with Satan. Mm, Because Satan is, when he gets into a situation like this, he has control. And the only way to... To overcome Satan is through the name of Jesus. Amen. And that's what I did. I went on my knees every night and I took the name of Jesus against Satan. And I said, you have to let go of my wife. She's mine. She's not yours. Amen. And even the holding on that I did wearing that wedding band for so long, it just, I was holding on and I couldn't let go really. But when I finally let go, it was like... It was like something heavy was lifted from me, yeah. and I mean, it was quick. It was quick after that. I like what you said there, because it reminds me of the story we're studying today. It was just your overwhelming love for her. And, and, and we see in this story that, man, these disciples were a messed up lot, and yet Jesus had an overwhelming love for them, despite their flaws, and it, it allowed him, him to, to forgive them and serve them. Guys, thank you all so much for sharing your story. You, God bless you. Love you guys. Thank you, Billy. You know, we need to hear those stories, don't we? Because uh, life is tough. Marriage is tough. Relationship, church is tough. It's a lot easier to flee, to run. It's a lot easier just to stay stuck and fight. Some of you may be there right now. You're just stuck in decades, maybe just bickering. And it can be different. Let's go to one, just a couple more points and we'll give you a chance to respond. What is the cure for this stuccatitis? Let me give you, start off by accepting the forgiveness of Jesus. You need to picture yourself as one of those broken down disciples. And you need to see Jesus, the Son of God, wash your feet. This is not a cartoon story. This is a real story meant not just for them, but for us. 
And you, I want you to think right now of the worst sins you've accomplished. The worst things you've done. The people you've hurt the most. The, the, the betrayal that you've had in your life toward God. And I want you to think right now and visualize Jesus coming to the room even before you've done some of these things and just saying, I want to show you how much I love you. Nothing you've done has diminished my love. I want to show you the full extent of my love. Now listen to me, friends. Until you and I accept that, we can never give what we just heard Billy and Linda give. Did you hear how foundational their relationship with God and Christ was? Whether it's taking that wedding ring off and saying, I surrender to you, or sitting on that back porch and hearing God speak to you what you need to do. You're not going to learn this from our world. You might not even learn it from your family. But you can learn it from Jesus. So you start by accepting his forgiveness. And then here's the strategy. The strong build a bridge. This is the genius of what Jesus does here, and yet this may be the most difficult thing. Billy could have said, I'm the one that was done wrong. I'm going to sit here and wait on her. You know what? She's got to pay a price. Jesus could have said, these guys don't even get a thing. Right before I wash their feet, they're arguing about who's the greatest. They don't know what's going on. I'm going to withdraw myself. The genius of Jesus' method is it's not the weak person that reaches out. It's the strong person that reaches out. In our culture, it's like, I'm waiting. You did me wrong. I'm in sulk. I'm going to wait till you come. Because I'm the one wronged. The genius of Jesus is that he understands relationships don't thrive because the guilty are punished. They thrive because the innocent are merciful. They're merciful. And so that's the strategy. Build a bridge. And here's the step. Wash feet. Maybe words are not enough. Maybe the love language needs to be servant to. That you go and you do the most menial task for the person who's done you the worst. And, and you go and, and you just start the whole process by saying, you know what? Yes, I'm hurt. I don't like what you did. We're not being Pollyanna here. But God has empowered me. I'm secure enough in God, in my relationship with Him. I felt His forgiveness in my life. And I'm going to wash your feet. Because I understand what I'm saying here. I'm not trying to put anybody in here on a guilt trip. I know there are situations where this is impossible. I, I know there are situations where the betrayal is so deep and so long and the trust is so broken. Don't, don't misunderstand me here. But when we're talking about good people who just screw up over and over again, just like you and me, then forgiveness needs to be acted out in acts of service. I love the story of this wife who wanted to divorce her husband. And she goes to the counselor and says, I, I not only want to divorce him, but I want to take him to the cleaners. I want to destroy him. And the counselor says, yes, I, I, that's what I like. I'll get a bigger cut. The lawyer says, let me do that. He said, let me, let me give you some advice. Let's don't do this quickly. Let's set this thing up. 
Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home for the next three months, and I want you just to serve him. I want you to express your love toward him. I want you to do everything he needs. I mean, you treat him better than you've ever treated him. Let's set him up, man. He's not even going to know this is going to come. It's going to come out of the blue. So you go serve him and love him unconditionally, and then you come back three months, and, man, we'll file the divorce papers, and we'll shock him, and we'll blow him away, and we'll get everything you want. And so she goes and, you know, she, she serves and she loves and she's miserable at first. And she serves and she loves and it gets a little better. And by the end of the three months, she goes back to the lawyers and he said, here's the divorce papers. And she says, I'm not going to sign them. He said, no, you got to. We've set this thing up. We're going to take him to the cleaners. She said, you know what? I've, I've started loving him. And I can forgive him. Why? Because she served him. Because it may not be a feeling thing with you right now. Can you imagine Jesus washing Judas' feet, knowing what's about to happen? It may not be an emotional thing. It may be a willpower thing that says, okay, I'm going to go serve unconditionally in love. I'm going to be the bridge builder, even though I might even be the one that was wronged. Now listen to the last words of this story. John chapter 13, verse 17. Jesus said, you know these things, now do them. That is the path of blessing. And I'm telling you today, if you want to be blessed, it doesn't always feel right. It doesn't seem right. It's not always intuitive to us to forgive. In fact, it's quite counterintuitive. But it's absolutely the path of blessing. It's the only way any relationship that you are in is going to not just survive, but thrive. It is the path. And in the long run, you will be blessed. And you'll bless others. Why can Billy and Linda come up before us today and bless all of us in our marriages to say, hang on there, don't give up, forgive, love. Because they've been blessed by God for their obedience. Today, is it time that you accepted the forgiveness of God? And that, that'd be the starting point here. And maybe you need to come to this front row and say, you know, the person I'm struggling with, just like Linda said, the person I'm struggling with more than anybody else is myself. I cannot forgive myself for what I've done. I've never truly accepted the forgiveness of God. I hear it theoretically, buddy. I need to feel it practically. I need to feel Jesus' hands around my feet. I need to feel Jesus wash my dirty toes. I need to feel God love me because I've never really felt it. And today, would you pray for me and let this church be the hands of Jesus to wash your feet. That may need to be where it starts. Or maybe today you're in a situation, maybe you're in a marriage. I'm going to ask Billy and Linda, if you guys would come up here, I'm going to ask them just to stand over here to the side. And, and during this invitation, if you would like to come and pray with them, maybe about your marriage. There, there may not be the point theirs was, but you might see it going down the wrong path. And you'd just like to pray with somebody about what's going on in your marriage. Just come give them your name and let them pray for you. If you need to accept the forgiveness of God, if you need to be washed by His grace today, then why don't you meet me here on this front row. Let's stand together and sing.